Good morning, church. It is good to be together. Like Joel said, uh, please turn your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. If you are joining us for the first time this morning, we as a church are going through a sermon series on the book of 1 Corinthians, and we are picking up where we left off two weeks ago, and we're going to be looking at verses 26 through 31. So if you have your Bibles, you can read along with me, or the words will be on the screen above me as well. For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many of you were powerful. Not many of you were noble of birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. And because of him, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption. So that as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. May God bless the preaching of his word. There is a truth about us as humans that this passage speaks to. And that truth is that we love to boast about things. And we find lots of things in life to boast about, right? Last week, the the LA Rams won the Super Bowl. And so right now, Los Angeles and all this past week, they've been throwing parades and, and their fans have been filling social media with the praises of their team. Uh, the Olympics are finishing up today, and the last two weeks right, have been entire countries boasting in their athletes, boasting in the medals that they have been bringing in for their country. If you're a parent, you like to boast in your kids. You like to boast in the accomplishments of your kids. If you're a kid, if you little kids on playgrounds, they like to boast about whose dad can beat up the other dad, right? And of course, we, we love to boast in things, and, and, and we love to boast also in ourselves. We love to tell others about our accomplishments. We love to make impressive posts on Instagram, and, then, and we love watching those likes come in, right? We love to be right. We love to let the other person know when we were right in that argument that we had with them. And so whether it's ourselves or, or someone else, and what someone else has done, we love to boast. And, and I'm not saying that all of these examples that I listed are wrong. I'm just saying that deep ingrained in us, in our nature, is to find things and boast about them. We find things in life, either ourselves or others, and then we decide that they are great and they are worthy of, a, of attention, and then we like to make that known to others, Right? But more than that, we also tend to attach our own value and our own worth to the things that we boast in. It's kind of funny when you think about it, but but, but it's true. If, If your football team wins, you are happy and you feel good about yourself. You know, even though you didn't do anything, you just sat on the couch, right? But they won and so you boast about it. It's especially great when other people join in that boasting because then it validates your boast. It validates the fact that you've worn that Eagles jersey all year, right? And if you're in a meeting and someone else is getting credit for an idea that you had, that bothers you, right? 
That's, that's your good idea. You, you're going to find a subtle way to make sure that everybody knows that you actually deserve the praise for that good idea. And when you post a picture of your living room on the, the one day of the year that's actually clean, right? <laughs> it makes you feel good when people comment about it. The more likes it gets, the more validated and happy that you feel. We love to boast in things. In our comfort, in our happiness, and our identity, and, and even our own value is often so much wrapped up in the things that we boast in. Now, why do I bring this up? Well, I bring it up because our passage this morning is all about what Christians should boast in the most. If you remember Joel's message from two weeks ago, and now my message this morning, they're all building up to this big idea that we see in verse 31, which says, let the one who boasts boast in the Lord. Paul rightly assumes that we as people, we are going to boast about something. In fact, we boast about many things. But Paul's concern is that our greatest boast be God. In our passage this morning, Paul is going to seek to convince us of why that should be true. So here's the main idea of our message this morning. Considering your salvation should produce boasting in God. Considering your salvation should produce boasting in God. And we're going to look at two points this morning. First, consider your calling. And second, delight in your Savior. Point one, consider your calling. In the opening verse here, Paul says, consider your calling, brothers. Now remember that Paul is writing this letter to the church. Okay? He's, he's writing to Christians. And he's about to remind them of the salvation that they have received, of, of the blessings that they have in Christ. He's, he's reminding them of the confidence that they can have in God's love for them. But before he reminds them of these things, he first reminds them of who they were when Christ called them. And it's not a particularly flattering description. He says this, he says, Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many of you were powerful. Not many of you were noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world and even things that are not to bring to nothing things that are. Now you've got to love Paul's directness here, right? I mean, he, he's writing to his friends. He's, he's writing to a church that he loves. And he says, look, look, let's be honest. You all are not a particularly impressive bunch of people, right? He says, you all aren't wise. You aren't powerful. Your, your families aren't impressive. You're weak. You're foolish. You're, you're despised by other people. That, that's my favorite one. I'm like, geez, come on, Paul. But it, it's a strange thing to say, right? It's a, it's a strange thing to say to your church. I was, I was thinking, oh, it might be fun if, if I got up here and began the message this morning by just listing off all the things that I find unimpressive about people here, right? But, but uh, I'm not Paul. I don't think I get away with that. Um, though if you want to find me after church, I'm happy to have a personal conversation with you if you want. Um, but but why, why is Paul saying these things? Paul is not just being mean. Paul loves this church. Paul has great affections for this church. The reason he's saying these things only, only makes sense if, if we remember where we were at in our last passage. 
Remember, Paul is writing this letter to the church in the city of Corinth. And the city of Corinth was known for its love of power and wealth and, and eloquent philosophies. It's, it's where you would come if you wanted to make something great of yourself. And so in this city, what was prized more than anything else is success and eloquence and nobility. And so these things were the things that were seen as most important. These things were seen as what was most valuable. And, and Paul knows that this culture is the one that he's speaking to. And it's not unlike our culture today, right? So he knows that the church is going to be tempted to place their hope in these things. To find their identity in these things. To find their security in these things. He knows that our tendency is to think that if we have power, if we have wisdom, if we have respect, then we will have reason to boast. But Paul says that could not be further from the truth. And his point is not that wisdom or knowledge or or power are, are bad. These things are not inherently displeasing to God for some reason. No, Paul's just saying not many of you were this way. But I mean, that means that some of these Christians possessed qualities that the world esteemed. There were, there were some that maybe came from noble birth. There were some who had unusually high intellect or, or had positions of power. And Again, Paul's not saying that any of that is bad. His point is just that these things are irrelevant when it comes to what matters most. They are irrelevant when it comes to our standing before God. They are irrelevant to the confidence that we can have that God loves us. And Paul says that if you think that something about you has resulted in God loving you and choosing you, then you are going to be boasting in the wrong thing. In verse 26, he says, remember who you were when God saved you. He wants these Christians in this church in Corinth to resist the temptation of the culture to place their worth and their confidence before God in themselves. He says, he says you were not that impressive when God saved you. Paul's saying, why do you think it is that you are a Christian? Is it because you are wiser than other people? Is it because you are more worthy of God's love than those around you? See, there are only two reasons that can explain our salvation. And one of those reasons is that we are somehow smarter than those around us, right? We are just a little bit more insightful than our coworkers or our family members who don't follow Jesus. There's something inside of you that's more, that's more moral or more humble that, that you kind of on your own chose this life of redemption. The, the world doesn't get it, but, but you're better than other people, right? You, you made the right decision. And if that's true, then you have great reason to boast this morning. Right? You have secured by yourself eternal life through your great effort and your great moral aptitude, right? What, what an accomplishment that would be. So that's one reason that could explain our salvation, but Paul says there's another reason that can explain our salvation. And that reason is not that you and your great wisdom have chosen God, but that God in his great mercy has chosen you. 
That God in His love chose you and caused you to see Him and to trust Him and to follow Him and that God alone is your reason for boasting. And that's the reason we see in God's Word, church. Verse 26 says, Think about who you were when Christ called you. You were not wise. You were not strong. You were not important. But God chose you. Now what does this mean? What does it mean that God chooses us? Well, jump with me to Ephesians chapter 1, where Paul uses the exact same phrase to describe our salvation. Ephesians chapter 1, in verse 4, it says, God chose us, the same phrase, God chose us in Him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before Him. In love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, to which he has blessed us in the beloved. All of this language points towards the work of God being something that he has done for us. And then jumping back to our passage in 1 Corinthians, when Paul says in verse 26, consider your calling, what he's saying is, remember, there's only one reason that you are alive in Christ. And that is that God has called you and that God has made you alive in Christ. I had this roommate in college named Robert. And Robert was one of the heaviest sleepers that I've ever known. And he would sleep through all of his classes. All of his morning classes he would sleep through. And um, I may or may not have had a similar tendency, not as bad as him, but a similar tendency. Um, so the solution was that Robert one day bought uh, what was without doubt the loudest alarm clock that I've ever heard in my life. It was, it was really more of like a foghorn than an actual alarm clock. Um, it was just this one big speaker. And, and when it went off in the morning, it was like a train coming through the, the apartment there. Um, and there, there was no sleeping through it. There was, there was no debating whether or not to wake up when this alarm went off. When that alarm went off, you were awake. And church, this is how it is with the calling of God. When God moves in your life to awaken you, you are awake. And it's not your doing. It is His power, it is His grace, it is His mercy that calls you. And why has God chosen the weak and the helpless to call to Himself? Well, ultimately, it's because that's the only type of people that there are. Apart from Christ, as it says in Ephesians 2, we are all dead in the trespasses of our sin. Not asleep not just needing a little bit of help, we are dead. Passage here in 1 Corinthians, verse 28 says, he had to bring life from nothing. Mark chapter two says, this is Jesus saying, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. So church, are you weak? Are you helpless? Are you desperate? Are you unable to save yourself? Good. That's the only type of person that Jesus is interested in saving. And that's the only type of person that there is. And so God alone gets the glory for your salvation, church. That's why Paul says, consider your calling. 
Consider the type of person that you are. And then let God alone be your boast. And now before I move on to point two, I want to ask a question here. Why is God so concerned about reminding us that he alone gets the glory? Why in this passage and in so many other passages in Scripture does God point this out to us? Is God desperate for our worship? Does God need our adoration? No. The reason God reminds us of our humble position apart from Him is so that we do not lose out on the great joy of delighting in Christ above all else and boasting in Him above all else. Back to our Ephesians chapter 1, it says, In love He predestined us for adoption. Ephesians 2, But God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which He loved us has made us alive together with Christ. And this is not your doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. The idea of God acting for His glory by calling you to salvation is inseparably tied to His great love for you. And so this brings us to verse 30, which is a description of the salvation that we have received because of Christ's great love. It's a description of the blessings that God has lovingly given to us. And these blessings come to us through Christ our Savior. So point two is delight in your Savior. And here we're going to look at four reasons that we have to delight in Jesus and boast all the more in our God. Verse 30. And because of Him, because of God who has called you, who has chosen you, because of Him, you are in Christ Jesus, who has, come, who has become to us wisdom from God, righteousness, sanctification, and redemption. So let's look at all four of these reasons, all four of these blessings that we have in Christ. First, Jesus is to us the wisdom of God. Now what does the wisdom of God mean? Well, the wisdom that Paul is talking about here is the ability to see our salvation the way that God sees it. This is really just talking about all the things that we have been talking about in point one. It's, it's understanding that our salvation is not based on our ability, but it's based on the mercy of God. And so Paul says that only Jesus is able to make that type of wisdom known to us. And the way that Jesus has made this wisdom known to us is through the cross. If you go back to verse 18, it says, the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power or the wisdom of God. And this is why the cross is central to our faith, church. When you think about Christianity, the cross is something that often comes to mind, right? The cross has served as a, a symbol of our faith and our salvation ever since Jesus. But it's an interesting symbol, right? Usually, when people choose a symbol to represent something that they see of great value, they choose something that is going to be seen as impressive and valuable, right? And attractive. Like the, the winners of Olympic events, like they get gold medals, right? 
Because gold is, is universally understood to be rare and of great value. So it's a, it's a perfect representation of the accomplishments that these athletes have made, right? When you think of great Olympians, you know, like, like Michael Phelps, or Simone Biles, or Sean White, Katie Ledecky, you think of their gold medals, right? They, they hang them around their necks in pride. It's, it's a, a symbol that represents what they have to boast about. But you know the symbol that Christians use to represent what we have to boast about? A cross. And a cross may be the least impressive thing that anyone has ever chosen to represent something like this. The cross was an instrument of death. It, it was reserved for the most despised in society. Slaves, criminals, traitors. These were who were crucified on crosses. And it was one of the most slow and agonizing and humiliating forms of death. So how, how counterintuitive, how strange that the symbol of our salvation, the symbol of the wisdom of God is Jesus Christ dying a slow, agonizing, humiliating death on an instrument of torture. That's the symbol of the Christian faith. And that doesn't make sense, right? I mean, that's why Paul says that the cross is foolishness to the world. It's strange. So why is Christ and his cross called the wisdom of God? The reason is this. The reason that Christ went to the cross and died in this way is so that we could understand the way to eternal life is not greatness, but brokenness. Salvation does not come through our wisdom or our goodness or our accomplishments. It comes through faith in Jesus who died on that cross, who humbled himself so that we might be humbled, so we might not boast in ourselves but boast in God. And if Christ had not died on that cross, think about this church, if Christ had not died on that cross, we would never have understood that humility is the path to salvation. The cross dismantles our pride by showing us we actually have to die to ourselves because the cross is what we deserved. That understanding of our desperate state before God is the path of salvation in Christ. And why did God choose the unwise, the lowly, the rejected to work in this salvation? He did so in order to keep us from boasting in ourselves. Because boasting in ourselves is true foolishness. It leads to death. There's no greater danger than believing that we need something other than the grace and mercy of God to be saved. Christ and his cross is the wisdom of God to us. And secondly... Christ is not only the wisdom of God, but he is also our righteousness. Now when we talk about righteousness, we're, we're referring to our legal standing before God. God is a holy and just God. And only those who are righteous are able to stand before that God. But the problem is we know we are not righteous, right? 
And every page of God's word declares that we are sinners and that in fact we deserve God's judgment. And we should feel the weight of that this morning. And maybe you're here this morning and you are feeling the weight of that. Maybe you came in this morning feeling guilty. You came in this morning feeling ashamed. You're here, you're here feeling that there is no way that God could love you. There's no way that God could be pleased with you this morning. Why would he be? But friend, here's the whole point of the gospel. is that Jesus Christ, the only perfect person who ever was, has died on the cross for your sins. He has bore the wrath that you deserve and now he is to us righteousness. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. We might become the righteousness of God. That is an astounding statement, church. That's your hope this morning. That's your freedom this morning. And it eliminates all reason to boast in ourselves. Whatever good we may have done this week to try to outdo the bad that we have done, it does nothing to earn God's favor. The, the only way to avoid despair or the only way to avoid boasting in ourselves is to understand that our righteousness is a gift. I don't remember where I heard this, but I remember someone saying once that, that as a Christian, trying to earn God's favor is like trying to get into a room that you are already in. I really like this analogy. It, it highlights the futility of thinking that we need to be continually earning our righteousness. It, it, and it also, it highlights the, the futility of that pursuit, but it also brings great comfort to us in knowing that we don't have to. If we're in Christ, we're already in the room. We don't add anything to our salvation. Nothing we do wins us our righteousness. And, and any attempt to add to what Christ has done, it, it cheapens our understanding of grace. And the magnitude of what Christ has accomplished for us on the cross, it, it lessens our reason to boast in God. But what great comfort it is to be able to boast in God alone for these things. Because what is safer? What is more secure? A righteousness that we have achieved by our own wisdom and our own efforts or a righteousness that Christ has purchased for us. Church, if you've been called by God, then in Christ, you are the righteousness of God. And on that final day, when we stand before God on his judgment throne, for those who, of us who have placed our faith in Christ, we will be declared righteous. God will look at me, Jason Stoll, and he will see my long history of sin. He will see my long history of pride and lust and anger and jealousy and boasting in myself. He will see all of this. 
And all of that sin is deserving of God's wrath and judgment. And I will have no defense except for one thing. That Christ is my righteousness. And because Christ is my righteousness, God will be able to look at me. He'll look at me and despite all my sin and all my failings, he will see Christ and he will say, not guilty, blameless, holy, accepted, loved, righteous. And that is great hope for that day, but it is great comfort for this day because that's how God relates to you this morning. Romans 8.30, and those whom he predestined, he also called, and those whom he called, he also justified. That's present tense. This morning, you are righteous in God's eyes if you are in Christ. And the blessings we have in Christ, the, the reason we have to boast in God alone, they only continue. Because not only is Christ our wisdom and our righteousness, but he is also our sanctification. As wonderful as it is, to know that our standing before God is not dependent upon our perfect obedience to Him, it's also wonderful to know that because of Christ, there is great reason to look forward to growth in obedience to Him. Maybe you're here this morning, and you find comfort knowing that you are forgiven of your sins, and that, Christ, or that God sees you as righteous because of Christ. But you're feeling discouragement that obedience is still so hard. You look at your life, you look at this week, and you see so much that you still wish that you could change. You see anger in your heart. You see the way that that is affecting those around you. You see this continued battle with lust that just won't seem to go away. Maybe you're feeling disappointed how quickly you can be to jump back into sin when you, when you thought that you were further along than this. You're feeling overwhelmed at how much work it is to walk in obedience. But friends, discouragement over our sins comes when we feel like we have to fight against that sin on our own power. Because we rightly know we are not able to, right? Apart from Christ, we are weak. We lack self-control. But Paul says that for those of us who are in Christ, we do not fight against sin on our own power, but by Christ's power. Here's the thing. Here's the thing, church. God does not save you and then leave you to grow on your own. That can be the fear, right? That yes, God has forgiven me of my sins, but now it's up to me, right? It's up to us to muster up the strength and the ambition to follow Jesus, right? We, we can feel that salvation is God's doing, but obedience, that's our doing. That's up to us. But no. Paul says that just as Christ is our righteousness, so is he our sanctification. The same power that saved you, the same Christ that is at work for your righteousness is at work for your sanctification. Philippians 1, 6 says, For I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Christ. And this is all just more reason to boast in God. When you see growth in your life, boast in God because he has produced that growth. When you see need for more growth, 
Boast in God by running to Christ alone for strength to walk in obedience again. Have courage this week, church. Christ is our wisdom. Christ is our righteousness. Christ is our sanctification. And finally, Christ is our redemption. Often when we talk about redemption, we think about things that we've already been talking about. We think about about how we've been forgiven of our sins. How we've been made holy in God's eyes. But here, redemption is being distinguished from those things. And it's speaking about future blessings that we have in Christ. That Christ is our redemption means that a day is still coming when all of God's promises to us will be fully realized. On the cross, Christ has secured our redemption, but we have yet to fully see it realized, right? I've heard stories about wealthy parents who who set up these trust funds worth millions of dollars for their kids. And so they just have to wait till they turn a certain age and then they will receive it, right? This enormous wealth. And, and all this wealth, it's just there waiting for them. They don't earn it. They don't add to it. No one can take it from them. It's just there waiting for them. I'm sure all of us have secretly hoped that maybe we have some long-lost aunt that has set up some type of a trust like this for us one day, right? But church, we have something a lot better than that. There is a day coming where we will receive the fullness of our blessings in Christ. There's a day coming where all of this will be redeemed. Christ has secured it for us. We've tasted it. We're tasting it now this morning. But that great day of redemption is still coming, church, where our struggle with sin will be no more. There's a day coming where our broken bodies will be renewed. Pain will be will be gone. A day is coming where sin and Satan will be abolished forever. There's a day coming when our broken relationships, they're going to be a thing of the past. The day is coming when war and abuse and racism and death and sorrow will be done away with. That day is coming when we will see Christ face to face. That day is coming. And it's coming soon, church. It's been secured for us by Christ. It's there waiting for us. Nobody can take it away. We don't add to it. We don't earn it. It's all because of Christ. He is our wisdom. He alone has made known the way to salvation. He is our righteousness is because of him alone that we can stand here this morning justified in God's eyes. He is our sanctification. He is our power this week to walk in obedience to God. And he is our redemption. He has secured for us that final day of glory. These are the blessings that we have in Christ. And all these blessings we have in Christ, they are because God has called us and has chosen us. So let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord.